Praise God. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given over to it, over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and, a, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from, earth, from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right free on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six 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 you may now be seated heavenly father we thank you for this wonderful sunday that you have blessed us with we we wake up this morning and we are so thankful that we are in christ we are so thankful for our jesus who suffered and paid our sin debt we are so thankful that today we come gathered together as the saints to remember the person and the work of christ and what he did to set us free that we are no longer bound by our sinful nature, that we are no longer bound by the things that once condemned us, that we are no longer bound by fear or guilt because of your son who came to pay our sin debt, to shed his blood so that we might be free. Whom the son sets free truly is 
free indeed. We thank you, Father, for the reading of your word today. We, we understand, Lord, that this book was written, given by Jesus to John as, as a revelation of to what was to come, what is and what was and, and what is to come. And we are thankful for the reading and the instruction and the teaching of this word, which you promised that we would be blessed by. Thank you, Father, for your glorious and majestic power and how you permeate this earth and even this room with your presence. We are thankful for you and for what you've done for us and your credible plan of redemption. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. We need you every minute of the day. And we give you glory and all the honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, in, in chapter 12, before I read chapter 13, at the end of chapter 12, I want you to be mindful of the fact that this was a cosmic war that we were preaching about and teaching about last week. The war in the heavenlies, the, 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 the forces of evil versus the, the powers of God, the angels of God versus the demonic angels. And very at the end of chapter 12, verse 17, it says this, then the dragon became what? Furious with the woman, who we can translate as Israel, we can translate as the church, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, the church's offspring, meaning the saints of God, meaning you, that the enemy is out to try to destroy you, not to scare you, not to put fear in you, but you need to understand the power and authority that you have over the enemy because the enemy is coming to get and to come after you and to, and to try to impose his influence on you and on your children. But we have the power and the authority in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, we know that he's making war against the church. And it says this, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's, it's simply not just one thing to say, I professed, I professed my faith at the altar one day and, and then I went on living like I normally live. It just was a simple profession, but there was no action to be taken place afterwards. He's coming after the ones that follow after the commands of God, the ones that try to please God, the ones that are doing the will of God, the ones that are in Christ and into Christ. He's coming after those. So you, you need to understand the authority that you have in Christ. So this is the cosmic battle. Now we're going to begin to read about the earthly battle, how it's manifested on the earth. And who exactly is this first beast? This first beast. Let me let me simply read along with you here because the beast here is is referenced is to destroy the followers of Jesus. Are we following Jesus here at this church? I believe we are followers of Jesus here at this church. We worship Jesus here at this church. We are thankful for what Jesus has done for us because we have eternal life with him that we will see him as he is in this body, this glorified body that he left and was resurrected in. We will, we will see Jesus once again. And it says here in verse Verse 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Well, this beast is rising out of the sea. It says with ten horns. Ten horns references nations. It represents nations. Here particularly it could have been mentioning Rome at the time, which was a world power. It's, it's ten horns always represents nations. And it had seven heads, leaders with ten diadems, people with power and authority. And on its horns it read blasphemous words. So right away here, the first commandment of God is, when you read 
read the, the Ten Commandments says to not to take the Lord's name in vain. Now we know that here that in earth that's all you ever hear are people on movies and actors and actresses and rappers and singers that will take the, the Lord's name in vain and I can't my ears can't take it at times. When I hear someone blaspheming my Jesus and, and the relationship that I have with Jesus it bothers me when someone takes the Lord's name in vain. And so right away, the enemy, this beast, which is a military power, is right away blaspheming the name of God on earth. Now, you know, you watch movies and you may go home and watch a movie and you may hear somebody speak. They always use God's name in vain. This is a plan depicted by the enemy, who is a substitute of everything that God does awesome. The enemy wants to, wants to absolutely poison it, destroy it, break down its influence. We praise God, other people will blaspheme God. That's what you got. You got people on God's side and you got people on the enemy's side. So here we are reading this and understanding this is a symbolic thing. Verse 2 then says this, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. This, this beast here is, is representative of nations, military powers. And, and, and usually when you see uh, different countries and different nations, they're, they're, they're always affiliated with a certain animal. Now, Russia is considered to be the bear. And, and I don't know what the leopard is, but it's probably something. But then you have the lion. I think the lion may be Africa, I think. But then here in America, we are associated with what? The eagle. So you have this symbolically meaning these are nations here, military powers, superpowers on earth that blaspheme the name of God, that want to war against God's people. And who gives this authority? Who gives it the authority? The dragon, who is Satan. So behind every army that you see, and all the killing that, that you hear about, and all the destruction that you hear about, the killing and the wars and all that, the person behind it is Satan. He's behind it all. Verse 3. Now it says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole world and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So what is this military power that received some sort, some sort of wound? What is this military power that all of a sudden kind of substitutes uh, the resurrection with some type of blasphemy, which comes back to life? Some people would probably... Um, Take this, and, and I, I, I've heard different teachings on it where it could be the nation of Islam, Islam, or, or Catholicism. It, it was once dead, but then it's coming back to life. Uh, some sort of superpower that was once dead, but now it's resurrected and it's coming back to life. Catholicism, uh, people are finding about Catholicism, and they're leaving Catholicism, but yet they're going back to Catholicism and, and bringing it back and doing all this type of stuff. And yet it's like some, something that was dead, but has been brought back to life. Once again, some sort of military power, some sort of satanically inspired power. And it says this, number four, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now, we know that we can fight against any type of military power. We do it spiritually because we won't let the world influence who we are in Christ. Yeah. But there's powers, powers, and, 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 and very, very powerful people in position that will cause people of God to be fearful, that will cause the family of God to quiver, that will cause the family of God to shake and to be afraid of what the power that they possess, but 
You can do everything that you can in your power to exercise your power. You have no power over us because we are in Christ. You can't take away our salvation with fear. You can't take away our salvation with guilt. You can't take away the things that we know about God because we understand and read his word and we get his word. And we get his word. You can take our life, but you can't take the salvation that has been provided. So we won't bow to any military power or this first beast. Verse 5 says this, And the beast was given a mouth uttering what haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. This is church persecution. The 42 months is is a symbolic time of absolute church persecution. This was in the past. It's currently in the present. And this church persecution will happen in the future. It will happen in the future. Then it says this, In verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and to conquer them. This is military power that uses violence, military power that that destroys lives overseas. You hear hear of destruction overseas with these, these powers and these presidents that... These dictators that are ruling and destroying their own people. And they're doing this, causing a tremendous amount of blood spill. And they do this overseas here in America even. We have to defend ourselves against different nations that will try to destroy other lives, innocent lives. So there has to be war. And so you have this military power and this violence taking place. So the first beast is a military power. It's a military power. A powerful force of violence. Later on, we're going to read about the, the woman who is Babylon, who's, who's dressed in the, in the blood of the wine press, meaning the shed blood of all the people through war that people have been killed innocently. Innocently. So we know this beast is a powerful beast waging war. Waging war. Now, we, we understand what this enemy is doing. We understand what this beast represents. And we understand why it does what it does. And we are so thankful for our troops and our soldiers who defend this country. That we have the freedom that we have against evil forces and powers that are in position to destroy innocent lives. As we move on in verse 7. It says, also it was allowed to make war on the saints. Who are the saints? Those are the Christians, and to conquer them, which means they were allowed to kill them, because what we, what we teach you in the word of God is that we don't fear him who could, who could kill the body, but we fear him who was able to destroy boy, both body and soul and cast you into hell. So we, we understand that, that the power that this enemy has over the, over the saints of God, what seems like ultimate defeat, really translate into ultimate victory. Continuing, and it says, and... With verse 7, it says, And authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. This military power affects everyone. It affects everyone on the earth. And verse 8 says this, All who dwell on earth will worship it. All on earth, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. I want you to get this very, very important part here. You have people who lived in the past 
who worshiped God. You had people who lived in the past that didn't worship God. You had people who live presently now who worship God and those who don't worship God. You have people in the future, people who are being born that are under the federal headship of Adam that will come to Christ and Christ will be their federal head. But then you will have people that will not believe in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, we, we see this very thing here. You see death that will happen and, and the, the imminent part of it that all of us one day will face, will face this last opponent called death. But here it says, right here and this is why we teach you the doctrine of election it's written right here so for some of you that need to take notes i want you to write down these passages that i've written here i want you to write down these passages that can locate that god knew you before you were born he chose you before the foundation of the world that you would come to know christ jesus that you would be sitting in these seats here today to hear his word that he protected you from this wrath hallelujah i'm gonna go to Ephesians, I want you to go there with me because it says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. We don't worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the Lamb who was slain. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read this for you here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Are you there, church? Even as he, what, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Go back to Revelation. Go back to Revelation. Now, you see his grace here. You see his grace here. War on the earth. Lives being taken. People who will be slain. Christians who will be slain. They will be conquered. It seems imminent. It seems like ultimate defeat. But yet it results in ultimate victory. Because God has saved us before the foundation of the world. There's another scripture you can write down. It's John 15 and 16. You can write that one down. It will show you about the doctrine of election. You can write down 2 Thessalonians as well. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 13. You can write that one down as well. It will show you. It will show you that God has already chosen you before the foundation of the world. It's his grace. It's his grace upon your life. 2 Timothy 1 and 9 is another one as well. You write those down. You go and you study those about you being chosen before the foundation of the world was even in place. That your names were already written there. That means that you can't work to get there. That means you can't do something good to get there. That means you can't be a good person in your life and be taught that, oh, I've been good. I've been good my whole life. I deserve to get there. God's grace has already chosen you in your wretchedness. Already chose you when you were blind and naked. Already knew all the stuff that you were going to do, but yet still chose you. He chose murderers. He chose prisoners. He chose liars. He chose, uh, chose adulterers. He chose all these people that his grace would be upon them that they would be saved. 
that the wrath of God would be removed from them, that they would belong to him and not belong to the ones who worship the beast. As we continue in verse 10, it says this, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Again, I'll read that last part. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. These are the ones that will never bow to the beast. I don't care how much influence they have, they're never going to bow to the beast. They're never going to bow to the world system. They're never going to bow to the things of the enemy because they belong to God. Because they belong to God. That's why the book of Revelation was written. Because all the martyrs at the time that were going through this, sim this same thing that the people of God, you the readers, would be strengthened that they didn't bow to Caesar. They didn't bow to the beast. They didn't bow to, these, to, to, this, to this influence of the world. But they stayed faithful to Christ. They were able to endure and go through it. They were able to persevere and go through it. And God gives you the power to persevere and go through the pain and the suffering and everything that you see. He gives you the power to go through it. He gives you that power. He gives you the gift and you go through it. And he gives you the Holy Spirit which sustains you to go through it. And you praise him in the dark times. You praise him when things are good. You praise him when things go wrong. You just continue to praise him because it's part of your life and your journey in the walk with Christ. Here was a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, let's move on to the second beast here. First one being a military military power what is the second beast here and I love this part here because you get to talk about a whole lot of things here and particularly the mark the mark so we're going to scroll around in our Bibles here today and if you can't scroll around in your Bibles just take a piece of paper in the back and write these things down verse 11 says this then I saw another beast rising out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, meaning that it's powerful just like the first one. But it's sort of subtle. It looks like a lamb. So remember, this is to be read symbolically. Remember, we, we study the word of God. It's to be taught symbolically. Yeah. So it's something that's subtle and likable. And so, but it has all the power like the first beast. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. This military power whose mortal wound was healed. What's, what was dead has been resurrected, brought back to life. This economic machine. This is an economic beast. This is something to do with religion and economics and money. And it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Well, we can translate this as when we told you last week about the fire of God that comes forth from our mouth is the word of God, which burns up wood, which burns up lies, which burns up heresies, which burns up false doctrine because of God's word and what it means symbolically. So here, this beast in its subtlety and its, in its deceptiveness has power to speak blasphemous words, has power to entice people with false teaching and heresy Come on now. and all this other stuff that you hear today and all this type of religion that you hear about today, it's, it's, it's rooted with satanic influence. Verse 14 and by the signs that is followed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell 
on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even, what, speak it might even cause those who would not worship the image of the beast, beast to be slain. So it's a powerful beast here. This economical thing, this, this money, money machine, this, this power here that you see that causes people to do things they normally wouldn't do. Now, if you have money in this world, you have power. If you have a lot of money, you want more money. And all this type of religious system that you see are centered around money. It's economic flow and the power that it has to cause you to worship idols. Now we can go in, in, many, in many places here. Have you ever been down to Park and Swap? I haven't been there in a long time. You ever see the idols that they make down there? And they buy them and they sell them and, and they make a lot of money from it. But through the book of Acts when Paul and Silas were going through the regions and, and Peter was going through the regions and they were getting these people to, these sorcerers and the people who had the spirit of divination to fall, uh, to fall before God and, and the spirit was chased out. The lady who were making the, or, or the power, reading hands and all this other, other stuff that she had, the power that she had, she no longer was an economic cow in that town because nobody was bringing money into that city because they weren't seeking this spirit of divination any longer because they came to the knowledge of the truth. Now, it's the same thing with economic systems and religious systems that when you come to the truth of God's word, you will flee from those idols. You're not going to buy idols. You're not going to buy fragrances. You're not going to buy none of those things that don't mean nothing because your eyes have been opened to the truth. So this economic machine is affected. But if it's powerful and it causes you to worship the idol and it brings in money and it brings in power, the people, the young people, the older, they'll be influenced by it and they then will worship it. They then will worship it. Let's move on. Verse 16. Remember this, this image, this symbolic image of a beast, of an economic powerful machine, the first military power. This an economic power that yet people are falling victim to and people are worshiping this, this beast, past, present, even the future, whatever it may be. It's going to be powerful that people will fall to it. They even fall to it now. People will, will absolutely sell out for money. Yes, yes. They'll sell out. They'll compromise their character to sell out. They'll do things you never thought they would ever do just so they can have a spotlight. And they do this very thing and they worship the beast. Verse 16 says this, also it causes all, all, someone say all. Oh. Now it says both small and great, both small and great both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. What is John seeing here? Is he seeing computer chips? Did, 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 did Jesus show John computer chips and little tiny rice grain things? Did he, did he show John this and said, this is what you need to tell the people about. To, to, don't worry about the Western age or the, or the, or the, the medieval age. But we're going to write this and make it for the people who are in 2020 right now. With the rice grain and the, all this other stuff about the beast. Don't take it. Tell the people, don't take it. Now, we need to understand where this is coming from. Where the symbolic meaning of the mark of the beast. Now, we know, as we read in Revelation 7, I know you were paying attention. Because the Bible says in Revelation 7 that you all have been marked. Yes. Your names, God's name is written on your forehead. Yes. Although I know you believe, yes. I don't see Yahweh on your forehead though. <laughs> I don't see it on your forehead. Yes. I don't see it. 
But I know by faith that your names have been written. That his name is on your forehead. Your allegiance is to Jesus. You worship Jesus. That is where your allegiance lies. So here the enemy, which is the devil, wants to be worshipped like God. And he'll do everything he can to be worshipped like God. So he creates these beasts, military power, money power, religious power. He wants to be worshipped. He doesn't want you to worship God because he couldn't worship God. So he wants an allegiance. He wants you to be on his side. And he does it so crafty. He does it so subtle. And so we know that being marked by God means you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Revelation 7 says you've been marked with God's name on your forehead. This is what you've been. This is what has happened. So where do we get this here? And why is he making a mockery of this thing here? Why is this beast doing this very thing, causing both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead? Then it says this, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Where do we get this from? I want you with me. I want you to go with me if you, and, and to go to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. Go to the Old Testament. You will go to the Old Testament. I'm going to read you a few things here. And why this enemy is making a mockery of the things of God. Now, the Jewish people here did something what's called the Shema, which is a daily prayer in the morning and a daily prayer at night. But notice what you as parents are called to do with your children and who my parents were called to do with me, but yet failed. Failed. Watch this. Chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to go to verse 4. Someone say, I am there. I am there. All right. It says, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, why did they write this? Why did Moses write this down? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why did he do that? It wasn't so to defend the Trinity, and it wasn't to defend for people who are believing in modalism, which is heresy, to use this scripture, which they do over and over and over again. This scripture was written because the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and everybody in that region were always susceptible to worshiping many gods. Many gods, just like today, in today's culture, past, present, and the future, people worship all kinds of gods. Gods are running prevalent. People even tell you that you can be a God. Gods are everywhere. God of this and God of that. Different type of gods. But here he says, the Lord God is one. There is only one God. One God. We believe he is one being and three co-eternal persons and co-equal. So here you have this very thing. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right away, because of this, this, this mass move of polytheism, where there were many gods then, and there's many gods now, God's always, the heart of man, the devotion of your heart, has many competitors. And there only should be one that has your heart, which needs to be God. 
And that is an action word. It's not, it's a verb. It's action. It's more than just a love. It's more, it's more than just a feeling and an emotion because it's not. Love is an action. Love is something you do. You do. You prove it in your actions. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be what? On your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Are we doing this, parents, with our kids? Are we talking the Bible with our kids? And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on what? On your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Now, in, in Jewish customs, and when they would, when they would do this, they did, they did it literally. They, they took frontlets and they took what was called phylacteries and they, and they placed a belt with a, with a parchment on the front of their forehead between their eyes. And they took these leather straps and they strapped it around their leather hand and there was a parchment at the end of it that had scriptures on it. Scriptures on the forehead, scriptures on the left hand. This is what they did literally. They literally did this. But the Lord is asking them to do it spiritually. It should be in your heart. The word of God should be in your heart. The word of God should be on your mind at all times. Because if it's on your heart and it's on your mind, your hands are going to prove the action by what you do. Here's what you do by what you do with your hands. Where are you driving to if you proclaim Christ as your Lord? What are you picking up if you pro proclaim Christ as your Lord? What are you doing? What do you do? Because it's supposed to be here and on your mind and in your hearts and your hands prove what you believe. You live out what you know through the word of God. You declare your allegiance. Stay in the book of Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 11. We're going to read it again. Go to chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11. The Lord says it twice. Twice. Go to verse 18. Deuteronomy 11 and 18. It says this. Are you there, church? It says, you shall therefore lay up these words of what? Of mine, the words of God in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as what? Frontlets between your eyes. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This is very, very important. Because this is what God has called us to do spiritually, to have our mind on him, our mind on Jesus, our mind on his word, our hearts, our hearts full of the word of God. Because we know that if our hearts are changed, it's because God has done it. He's given us a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone to follow after the things of the world and reject the things of God. But we have this. We have this. Go back to the book of Revelation. Go back to the book of Revelation. The Shema is something that they would do day and night. This is something they would do day and night. And so it's like the enemy is making a mockery of this daily prayer that we are to do during the day and we are to do at night. Making a mockery of this very thing. Now, what you see and what you watch affects your life. And it, it comes out of your heart. It comes out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So whatever you, whatever you watch, whatever you see, it influences you and it guides you and it leads you into wrong direction. Or if you take it in a positive way, if the word of God is on your mind constantly, you're in the word of God, 
you're constantly seeking after the things of God, you take your hands and you do something wonderful for the glory of God because you love him, not because you are being saved by your works. And so here you have the enemy making a mockery of this very thing. He says, verse 16, Revelation 13 and 16 says again, and it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Now, the enemy has these people in their grasp. He has them right where he wants them. On their forehead, they belong to the enemy because all they do is think about evil things continually. And all they do with their right hand, which is symbolic of their power, is they do evil things with their right hand. And so this is what you have symbolically. You have those who are calling an allegiance to Jesus and those who have made an allegiance to Satan. Two people. You have God's people, and then, we have, then you have the enemy. You have the 144,000, and you have those that have the number 666, which is a number which falls well short, which is man's number, which causes man to fall well short of the standard of God. That's why his number is 666 in Hebrew writings. The name here, 666, and, and, and reading it historically, it mentioned Nero, who was a killer of Christianity, who tried to eradicate Christianity. And also the number of Satan and the number of man, which falls well short of God's standards. Well short of God's standards. I want to read something to you, and then we're going to take communion together. I want to read you something from one of the great men of God who has really catapulted the move of Reformed theology. And he recently passed and went to be with the Lord. And I want to read this to you because this is God's grace upon your life and ours. This is, this is God's grace and he made this statement, and it's a very profound statement. I got it from his book, The Holiness of God. And it says this, loving a holy God is beyond our moral power. Now, he, he writes that, and I'm thinking, loving a holy God is beyond our moral power. Before we came to Christ, all we wanted to do was think about things evil and do things evil. In, in, in everything that we do, we wanted to do something which was contrary to the things of God. But he changed you. But he changed your life. And now you, you have this, this moral compass where you look and you say, I can't do that no more. I used to do this, but I don't want to do those things anymore because I'm in Christ. I can't go back to that lifestyle because he pulled me out of that lifestyle. But before you got saved, you were in that lifestyle, didn't care two cents about it, what anybody thought about your life. You didn't care. But when God and his grace comes, he changes you. And now you have this moral compass, and now you, you know right from wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts you, yes. and you won't do it anymore. Yeah. Some of you do things that you know you shouldn't do, but yet when you go home, you feel bad about it. Because that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Amen. And if you do it, and you keep doing it, it's just sin. Amen. It's just sin to you. So he says this opening line, loving the Holy God is beyond our moral power. The only kind of God we can love. By our sinful nature is an unholy God, an idol made by our own hands. That's why in churches today, you won't hear the word of God too much. They won't open up the Bible or make you go to the Bible, but we'll talk about everything outside of the Bible. Because if we talk about what's inside of the Bible, then you're going to find out who God truly is and not the one I'm just making up. Because we can make up a Jesus that suits our lifestyle. 
we can make up doctrine that suits our lifestyle. And we can bypass scripture and not read scripture with you just so it can suit our own convictions and our lifestyle. And that's what they do today. That's why when you see TV, that's why you see people preaching, they never even have the Bible. They never even have it open to tell you to turn here. They may put a little scripture on the screen and read it, but they'll never go back to it and teach you what it meant, who it was for, and why it was written. But they won't do this very thing. There's even somebody that will make you hold the Bible up in the air and quote some type of some type of phrase declaring the allegiance to it and then put it down and never have you open it again. And they're all over TV. And it's the reason is, is because the way that Christians sell out or who call themselves a Christian sell out is by compromise. Compromise. I'm going to have a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus and I'll be all right. They compromise. This is what they do. They just compromise. This is what the enemy's calling calling the, 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 his wars against the people of God to get them to compromise, to follow after satanic influence, to take his mark and not the mark of God. To take that mark 666 or the one that we have, which is 144, to take that mark. I'll continue and he says this, and then we make a God an idol by our own hands unless we are born of the spirit of God uh-huh. unless God sheds his holy love in our hearts unless he stoops in his grace to change our hearts we will not love him yeah. to love a holy God requires grace grace strong enough to pierce our hardened hearts and awaken our souls. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's why we are here today to remember what Jesus has done. That he would protect us from this. That he saved us from this. That he would come to earth and protect us from the plans of the enemy and destroy him. And destroy him and give us eternal life. Today, we are going to take communion. This here is the grape juice. This is the wine. And we are going to take it and then we are going to pray. Now, if you're here today and you know of Jesus and you, you, you maybe made a declaration or profession of knowing who Christ is and you want to commit to Jesus or you want to pray and talk to Jesus today I suggest you do that we're going to have a moment where we will pray together and we will look at our own sinful and things that we've done and ask God to forgive us and he does he forgives us he forgives us and he remembers it and washes it away and does never bring it back like the enemy but he forgives us so today before we come and partake of the elements we're going to have a moment here where we're going to seek God ourselves, pray to God before we come up and get the elements. When you do get it, hold it, and we will pray together. Now, if you don't know what we're doing and why we're doing this, it's simply remembering that Jesus came and he shed his blood for us, that He, that the Father would be propitiated, that the wrath of God would be removed, and that we are worshiping him and thanking him for his work, that he fulfilled the law, 
He became the perfect sacrifice that God needed to atone for man's sinfulness. And so we're thankful that Jesus saved us, that we are in need of a Savior. And we are here today to remember that great sacrifice. If you don't want to come forth, no one should be looking around and, and prodding you to come. This is between you and God. If you need to sit there, then you just sit there. That's between you and the Lord. It's not for any of us to look around and be pointing fingers or doing anything. It's none of our business. That's between you and the Lord. And sometimes we do need to sit back and just pray and seek God. So let us seek God here this morning. As I pray, join with me in prayer. You may pray your own prayer. But I'll lead in prayer together here this morning. Father, we, we read your word today about these beasts that the enemy, you have removed from your presence to earth that he uses to influence the offspring of the church and to remove the people of God from being effective because he influences them satanically with his plan. And Lord, today we are reminded by what you've done by sending your only begotten son, meaning not created but unique son to the earth to be born of a virgin, to grow up and to follow and fulfill the law conquer the law for us because we would never be able to abide by the law as we declared earlier as service started with the catechism reading it, understanding who we are as a people understanding the humanity and how we as humans fall well short of your standard, that you had to send Jesus to save man from his sinfulness, to save man's eternal soul today we are reminded Lord, help us to remain strong during times of attacks. And they come. They come in waves, Lord, we know. But you give us the authority of your word, the power of scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we can thwart our enemy, stop him in his tracks. We pray together corporately. We seek your face, Father. We thank you for everything that you've done that today that we're here today because of your grace that we woke up this morning despite our ailments despite that sometimes we don't feel very well but yet we were alive to hear your word we were alive and inspired to come to the house of God to hear your word you sent Jesus so that you may be propitiated that you may be satisfied that your wrath would be removed and you had to you had to have this completed. And you were excellent in all things. You do all things well, Father. Now that we are reconciled because of Jesus and what he's done, that we are reconciled to you, that we operate in the high priest function now, that we have access to your throne, that we can pray and seek you, a holy and righteous God, a just God. Father, we thank you. And as we remember the blood that shed forth from your son. Jesus, your blood being shed for us. You were beaten, you were bruised, you were battered for us that we may be forgiven, that we may receive the greatest spiritual blessing, which is eternal life in heaven because of you, Jesus. And that you would send the comforter, that you would send the Holy Spirit to seal us, that we would be marked for the day of redemption. 
And Father, we pray. We pray because of Jesus. We pray to you. Use us, O oh Lord. Use us, O oh Lord, today. That we would pray. That we would strategically reach out to those that you have placed in our hearts to preach the gospel. The good news of the gospel to those who need to hear it. Use us, Lord. And as we come up today to this table, we are reminded of the work of Christ. And we're eternally thankful and grateful. Jesus, we give you all the glory. Today we, we come before you as well and we confess our sinful lives, our sinful lives and what they've done throughout the week and things that we've done. We fall well short of your standard. Today we confess our sins today in the house of God. Wash us away with the blood of Jesus. Wash those sins away with the blood of Christ. Remove it from us, Lord, and we thank you for your forgiveness. We confess our sins before we approach this table. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. From the middle, maybe towards this, maybe this side, first, second, and then third, please come forth. This is the grape juice. This is the wine.